The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles when you have time. I know you should be ready for it. And uh, take it to John 11. And we're going to pick it up at verse 17. And again, to stretch your legs, we need to stand when you find it. This is the account of the death of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Uh, it's a very familiar chapter. And you should read the whole thing, but for the, because we're trying to save time, we're just going to read a small portion of it. And we'll pick it up at verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here... My brother had not died, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again, Martha saith unto him. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Let us pray. My Father in heaven, I pray in this hour that you will give me the wisdom and the boldness that I need to deliver this message. Father, I pray for you people, everyone that has come together to listen to the preaching of your word. pray that if there is someone, someone here who doesn't know you as Savior, that today will be that day when they turn their life to you, Lord. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. The big question in any religious system out there is the little issue of life and death. And the biggest question is, can the founder of your religion raise people from the dead? Back in verse 3 of this chapter, we read that, Mary and Martha sent a message to the Lord telling him that his friend Lazarus was sick, but he intentionally stayed there two days where he was, the Bible says. And by the time he got to where Lazarus was, he was already dead and had been dead in the grave for four days. Verses 11, 14, and 15 indicates that he died the very same day that the Lord received the message from his sisters. And you would think that that is cruel. He could raise people from the dead and didn't go see him. But God doesn't see death the way we see it. And he used that, the death of Lazarus to teach the people that were there that he is in control of every event, even in the moment when we take our last breath. In Bible times, when people, when a person died, the body was placed in the tomb within 24 hours. This is back in Bible times. 
And they did that for, for two reasons. One is because they had to comply with the Mosaic law or had to deal with the, with a dead body. Any person who had touched a dead body was ceremonially unclean. Even the place where the person had died was unclean. And there were rituals that they had to follow in order to clean that up. And if you want the details, read the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus. That will explain that in details. The number two reason was they didn't have refrigeration systems. And in hot weather conditions, the body will immediately begin to decompose. Uh, There's much to say about this, but I need to move on. And today I will be spending my time on verse 25 and talk about another one of the many wonderful names of Christ. The title of today's sermon is The Resurrection and the Life. Now, every born-again child of God has received eternal life. And every person that has trusted in Christ and has died with Christ is waiting for the resurrection and the life. When you attend the funeral of a, of a Christian and you look at the corpse in the box, you're looking at an empty shell. There's nothing there. The body is going into the ground And it will dissolve, and over time it will become dust. But the real person who occupied that body has long left the body and is in the presence of the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches, Second Corinthians 5, verse 8. Now, it is important to point out that Lazarus was not the only person that Jesus brought back from the dead. In Mark 5, verses 22 to 43, we have the story of the 12-year-old girl, the daughter of Jairus. Jairus, something like that. In Luke 7, verses 11 to 17, we have the story of the young man, the only son of a widow woman that was being carried to the cemetery, and the Lord stopped the funeral procession and brought him back to life and presented him to his mother. The doctrine of the resurrection is the foundation stone of Christianity. Many would admit that the death of Christ was necessary but they neglect the importance of the bodily resurrection. The physical resurrection of Christ is monumental. It is the evidence and the fundamental connection of this doctrine with Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19, Paul shows that everything stands or falls with the physical bodily resurrection of Christ. Verse 14 teaches that, in 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that apostolic preaching is vain without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the faith of the Corinthians is meaningless. The apostles are false witnesses if there is no physical bodily resurrection. Verse 15 of chapter 15 teaches that if God the Father didn't raise Christ from the dead, the Corinthians are still in their sins. Verse 17 teaches that those who have fallen asleep, that means those who have died in Christ, have perished if there is no resurrection. Verses 18 and 19 teaches that we, the Christians, are of all men most miserable if Christ has not risen from the dead. And all through the book of Acts and in Paul's preaching, the emphasis is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very reason why we are here today is because the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, what's the point of being here? 
What is the point of sending missionaries overseas so they can preach to different people and win souls for Christ? Without the resurrection, we have nothing. Paul makes the resurrection of Christ an essential part of the gospel in his preaching. Christianity is the only religion, if you want to call it religion, but it's not. But if you want to call it religion, religion, go, go right ahead. That is the only religion on which the concept of the resurrection is founded. The founder of Christianity is Christ himself, and without the resurrection, we have nothing. True Christianity has nothing to do with religion. True Christianity is a personal relationship with Christ. And there are many things that we can learn and many things that are of great value because of the resurrection. So that's the introduction. Let me get to my first point. And uh, I don't use uh, PowerPoints, but like I said before, all my, powers, all my points have power. So let's get to point, point number one. The resurrection of Christ is the proof of his deity. And again, since I don't have a PowerPoint, I'm going to need you to look, look up your Bible. We we'll go to Romans 1 and cha- Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. If you don't have time to, to look it up, write it down because I, I, I need to move fast. I have a lot to cover and not enough time to do it all. So I need to think about as fast as I'm, t- I'm talking. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Of all the miracles that Jesus performed during his life here on earth, none puts his deity on full display more clearly than raising people from the dead. The Bible teaches that the Jew requires a sign. 1 Corinthians 1.22 Well, you don't get a better sign than Jesus Christ is God and has the power to bring people back from the dead, back to life. Now, it is important to keep in mind that even though these were great miracles, this is not the resurrection that we're talking about today. The saints who will experience the resurrection when Jesus Christ calls them out of the grave, these people will receive glorified bodies and they will never die again. So I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I need to, I need to move or I've got, I got other things I need to cover. I also need to point out that there were others who were brought back to life at the hands of others, and we have the story in the Old Testament of the widow of uh, Seraphath in First Kings seventeen seventeen. We also have uh, Tabitha in Acts nine thirty six to forty three, and we have Eutychus, the guy that fell out of a window when Paul was preaching all night. He got tired and sleepy and fell off and died, and Paul brought him back to life. That's in Acts twenty verses seven to twelve. But none of these miracle workers had the ability to defeat death and the grave because eventually they died and they remained dead until this day. Except for Elijah, he didn't die. He went up to heaven in a chariot of horses of fire. But he's coming back again in the tribulation. And the Bible teaches that the Antichrist is going to kill him. So he's going to have to taste death just like everybody else. 
Jesus assigned his exalted name of the resurrection and the life. Only God has the power to raise people from the dead, and therefore he has the right to proclaim himself to be God. This acknowledgement is probably why the Roman Catholic Church has never given our Lord his proper title. He is the sovereign ruler, supreme ruler, with power and dominion in heaven and earth, over hell, over death, over demonic powers, over everything. Rome claims that the Pope is the keeper of the keys, and those keys appear on the flag of the Vatican. Look it up if you, if you have time, look it up there, up here on the, on the big flag of the Vatican. This is why when a Catholic is sick at the point of dying, a priest comes over to give them to give the dying person their last rites. I don't know what that is. I was never a Catholic, so I don't understand how that works. One of the ways we know this is not true is because all the popes, they eventually die. And the keeper of the keys is none other than Jesus Christ. He tells us in Revelation 1, verse 18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive again. I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. When we stand at the graveside of a Christian, we can read with confidence. First Thessalonians 4, verses 18 to, uh, 14 to 18. And truly comfort one another with these words, because we, have, we are resting on the promises of God that Jesus Christ is going to call every person who has died in Christ out of the graves. That is a promise of God. So your salvation, your resurrection, and your eternal life is in the person of Jesus Christ. Point number two is the benefits of the resurrection. For that one, I need you to take your Bibles to Hebrews 7, verse 24. Hebrews 7, verse 24 reads, But this man, this man is Christ, because he continueth ever has an unchangeable priesthood, Wherefore, he is able also to save them, them to the uttermost that come unto him, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make, to make intersection for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and may higher than the heavens. We look at the contrast between the priesthood of the Old Testament the Levitical priesthood in that dispensation and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of the Old Testament was never permanent. The son followed the father, and when the high priest was unable to serve, he had to transfer his priesthood to someone else because he was either unable to, to serve or in some cases God killed some of them because they were just wicked people. Not all, but some of them were. Christ has a priesthood which cannot be transferred, seeing that he has eternal life in himself. Therefore, his priesthood is holy and undefiled and eternal. The priests of the Old Testament were sinful men, but he is holy, pure, and spotless. They offer sacrifices in earthly tabernacles. He presented himself with his own blood in the true sanctuary in heaven, 
which is high above all heavens and is eternal. He appeared in the very presence of God. So in Jesus Christ, all the types and shadows of the Old Testament are fulfilled. Christ in his priesthood can save completely and in a perfect and comprehensive manner. All who through him come to God will be saved because he is the high priest who will never die. He can intercede for those who trust in him. Salvation is possible by the atoning death of Christ. And he continues by the resurrection and the intersection of Christ on our behalf. Now that word atoning or atonement means to make restitution, to make a full payment for a crime or injury committed to satisfy the wrath of the one who has been offended. In our case, this is a big problem. Because how can a sinful creature make restitution to pay an offense committed against God? We just can't do it. Only a sinless, perfect God can make restitution for sinners by giving his life as a payment for our sins. Now, this is a little sidebar that I added on. This is not part of the sermon, but we know Christianity is in trouble because you don't hear about these old verses that are hidden in the Old Testament and wonderful doctrines like atonement. You don't hear preaching on atonement anymore. Propitiation. Imputation. Expiation. These are wonderful doctrines, but we don't hear them anymore. People don't know about them. These are some of the mechanics on how your salvation works. How is your salvation possible? And they, they deserve a big explanation, every one of them. But we don't hear them anymore. Moving on. Not only we have a Savior who died and made atonement for our sins, but also a Savior who arose from the dead and entered by his own blood into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God where he, where he ever lives and pleads our case every time we fail. And trust me on this, we fail every day. I don't know about you, but I do. Now here lies the security of the believer because Christ completed the work for us, something that none of the Old Testament priests could do. Point number three, the resurrection of Christ is the guarantee of our resurrection. For that one, I need you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. And when you find it, put your finger there and go to 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 13. First Thessalonians 4, 14 reads, <clears throat> For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will, bring, will God bring with him. Second Corinthians 4, 13, 13. We have in the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. 
Romans 8, verse 11 reads, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken you mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. The resurrection of Christ is what separates Christianity from any religion in the world. And yeah, we've been called narrow-minded, and that is true. We're so narrow-minded that we believe that there are some people sitting in churches like this one that will not go to heaven. One of the biggest surprises we're going to have when we get there is the number of people who will be absent there, thinking that they'll be there because of either their faithfulness or the way they they looked, they appeared, but that's only on Sunday. You know, our Christianity is to be shown out there. Only Christianity has been trusted with the truth of God's word, and only Christianity has the answer to the problem of sin. If your religion is not preparing you for the day when you're going to die, you need to dump it and find out where you're going to spend eternity. Hebrews 9, verse 27 reads, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Like I say, way too many people claim to be Christians nowadays, and they don't know that they might be on their way to hell. I don't know if you knew this, but did you know, did you know that the Pope claims to be Christian? I always say that there is no hope for the Pope. If there is one thing that every Christian knows is this, we are going to heaven when we die. And if the rapture takes place in the near future, we may not have to face physical death. The question of life and death, hell and eternal punishment is taken care of the moment you put your trust in Christ. No other religion can claim that. No religion in the world can claim that their founder atoned or paid for their sins on their behalf by offering himself for it. You know, you go down the list, I'll, I'll mention a few here, but Muhammad didn't pay for the sins of any member of Islam. Joe Smith didn't pay for any sins of any Mormon. Taste Russell didn't pay for the sins of any Jehovah Witness. And according to, to the Roman Catholic Church, Christ didn't do enough because you have to pray for, you have to pray to Mary and dead saints and dead popes. And even when you die, praying to all these dead people, you still don't go to heaven. According to them, you go to purgatory, which they don't know where it is, and I don't know either. Now, I said at the beginning that I'll go back to this thing of the resurrection, so I'll, I'll, I'll get there and then bring this to a, a conclusion. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter in your, Bible, in, in your Bible. This chapter has more information about the resurrection than all the gospel put together. Now, the resurrection of the saints is compared to a harvest. And it has many parts. And this makes perfect sense. If you have ever planted anything, you know that you never pick your fruit at once. Take tomatoes, for example. When you plant that tomato seed, that tiny little seed goes into the ground. And within a few days, you start to see a little little sprout come out of the ground. Something amazing has taken place. That tiny seed that you planted in the ground has died and is now a plant. 
that will produce many seeds. Jesus said in, in John 12, uh, verse 24, that except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and died, it abideth alone. You watch that plant grow, and in the process of time, it will produce tomatoes. And at first you'll get a few, and then later on you'll get a bunch of them. But you still have a few that are not quite ready yet. This is called the gleanings. The resurrection of the saints is going to be broken down in parts. Jesus Christ being the first fruits, the Bible tells us. Followed by the rapture, that is the church age saints. Followed by the tribulation saints and so on. At the end of the millennial kingdom, before we go into eternity, there will be the resurrection of the unsaved. This will be one general resurrection where all the unsaved from all the centuries will appear before God to give an account. If you shall find yourself at this judgment, you are in big trouble. Then you look at what kind of body you're going to receive. The Lord will give you details in, in, in ways that we can understand this. This is, of course, it's got a spiritual application, in, but the Lord puts it in, in terms that you and I can understand it. And for this one, I need you to take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. The whole chapter is about the resurrection, the resurrection but because we're trying to save time, we'll, we're going to pick it up at verse 38. 1 Corinthians 15, 38 reads, but God giveth a body as it is, as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of 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 men, another flesh of beast, another flesh of fishes, and another flesh of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is only a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. This verse tells you that the physical body will have to go through a major transformation. In other words, it's going to have a major facelift. J. Vernon McGee in these verses, you know, he was a very mean guy. He said that some of us can use a facelift now before we go to heaven. I could never say that myself. Philippians 3, verse 21 reads, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Noah Webster Dictionary of 1828 defines that word vile as morally base or impure, depraved by sin, wicked, 
and hateful in the sight of God. Now I know that we're living in this selfie generation and it's, it's all about me, myself and I. People spend too much time looking at themselves in the mirror and posting photos of themselves on social media because they want the whole world to see them. But the Bible teaches that our body, our physical body, is sinful. And regardless of how much time you spend in the Bible or how many years you have been saved, your sinful nature has not been eradicated. It's still there. This is why the Lord has to transform our bodies before he takes us to heaven. Again, J. Vernon McGee said on this on this on his commentary on this verse, he said that he doesn't care how much Chanel number no. five you put on you. If God doesn't transform you before you get to heaven, within a few minutes you will stink up the whole place. So he needs to transform you. It's not until you read the word of God and you see yourself the way God sees you is that you begin to think who you are and who God is. When you do that, you will see the way God sees you. I have said this before and I'll say it again. Reading the Bible and learning your Bible and studying your Bible will change your life because you will learn to see the world from a biblical point of view. And there's no way you'll be able to see the world the way and say people see it. And before you do anything, if you are saved, your main concern should be, how is this going to glorify God? That's the one thing that we should always keep in mind. Remember that whatever you do, you are a full-time Christian and a part-time mechanic, truck driver, whatever you do, your main goal is to glorify God with your life Wherever you go, whoever you run into, some of these people will never see, will never know what it's like to know God until they run into a Christian. But if we behave like the devil, they'll never know. Now, again, I know that we're living in difficult times and people don't take time to reflect on spiritual matters. Everybody's busy. I don't know why everybody's so busy. And we're all doing something for ourselves. We're not doing much for the Lord. We're doing it for ourselves. But in our preaching presentations, we tell you about the necessity for the new birth. And that's true. We tell you that your soul is valuable, priceless. And that's true. But then you look at the behavior of the people who attend church. And you wonder if these people consider what they hear. How about the soul? What is the soul? How can you explain the soul? Can you see the soul? What is it? We know that every person has a soul because the Lord spoke about this. Matthew sixteen twenty six. we read, For what is a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, verse 26, um, verse 36. For why should it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I'm going to give you something that's probably far out for some people. 
And for some it could be a little spooky. But the closest you can get to seeing the soul of a person is by looking at them in their eyes. Grab their face and put your eyes real close. There is something in their eyes that you cannot explain. The Bible teaches that your eyes are the windows to your soul. Some people call it the sparkle in your eyes. But it's more than that. Your eyes will tell the condition of your soul without you speaking one word. We can tell roughly your condition, what condition you are in by looking at you in the eyes. When somebody dies, the first thing the doctors do is they shine a light into the eye of the person who has just passed away. When you look into the eyes of someone who has just passed away, it's, looking, it's like looking into a window where somebody has closed the blinds on the inside and there's nothing there. Something has left the body for sure. And at that point, that body is nothing more than an empty shell. You have to get rid of it. Now, I have a friend who lost an arm just above the elbow. I ran this before, but we've got some new people here. never heard this before. He lost an arm in a construction accident, and they chopped it off just above the elbow. He got a tiny little stub about that big. And about six months after the, the, the accident, he called me one day, and he said that he had a terrible itching and pain on his right arm, on his right hand. So I said to him, you know, it's not possible. You don't have that hand there no more. But he insisted that he was having pain there. And he told me to take him to the doctor, so I, we, I did. And the doctor said that this is known as the phantom syndrome. We never heard this term before, so we told him to explain it in simple details. And, said, and he said that this is the nerve ending but this didn't make sense because the nerve endings, in his case, was above the elbow. And he was having pain in a hand that wasn't there. And so, we were unable to investigate any further. We weren't satisfied with the answer that the doctor gave us, but he moved on and I moved on. He had to learn to, to deal with it. It wasn't until I got saved many, many years later, one day I was reading my Bible, and I was thinking about my friend, and I got the answer out of Luke chapter 16 when reading the story of Lazarus and the rich man. This is not the Lazarus that we're talking about today. In that story, you read that the rich man died and he was buried. The story tells us that in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes. But his eyes were in, his physical eyes were in the grave. So he couldn't lift, lift up his eyes. The story tells us that he was asking for a drop of water to cool his tongue. His physical tongue was in the grave. He said that he was in torment in the flames, but his body was in the grave. And he said that he had family members who were unsaved and he wanted somebody to go over to tell them so they wouldn't end up in an awful place like that. 
or your soul, whatever it is, has the capacity to feel pain. It can see. It can remember things. It can hear. It can speak. In other words, your soul is the real you. When you die, you're going to give an account after death. Your soul. You can do whatever you want to a physical body, but you can never touch the soul. My friend was complaining about pain and itching on a hand that wasn't there physically, but spiritually speaking, my friend is complete. That hand that we cannot see is there spiritually. We just can't see it. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is able to see beyond the physical and what you and I are unable to see and understand in God's eyes. It makes perfect sense. We cry when a loved one dies and sometimes we even question God when that happens. But like I said, he doesn't see death the way we see it. And God said that the death of his saints is precious in his sight. We don't get that. And the reason why we don't get it is because we don't understand the spiritual nature of God. And for sure, we are unable to see beyond this life. Psalm 116 and verse 15 reads, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It is precious because at the moment you die, if you, if you are a Christian, you're done sinning. You're done dealing with the pains and headaches of this life. You don't have to worry about anything. You are in the presence of God in much better shape than anybody on earth. We the Christians are going to see the day when God himself will bring him with him all the saints who have gone before us. That is a day that if you have lost somebody who was saved, you should be looking forward to. And if you have unsaved family members, you should be crying to God and witness to them. Because if they die without Christ, you will never see them again. The hope of the resurrection and the life is in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, trust him today. I'm done. If, you are, if you're sitting here today and don't know the Lord, we would be delighted to help you and tell you how you can get saved today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, once again for the privilege to preach your word. Lord, I pray that this has not fallen in deaf ears and somebody will respond. Father, we pray for our pastor again. Pray that you will keep them safe. Pray for Pam. And for everybody that takes part in what we do here, Lord, we pray that you will bless us and keep us safe, Lord. Allow us to be faithful and continue to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.